you can be seated. So I'm at the risk of um, repetition. And obviously, you know, we're going to talk about the Christmas story, but I want to preface it by looking at the fall in Genesis three. I know. I'm sorry. I just I told Nick, I said, I've, I've got one message. I know one passage in the Bible, three chapters, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and John chapter 1, that's about it. But I think we've been in those for about four years, off and on, but longer since you've known me. Yeah, Genesis 3. Okay, so I've got one message. You know when Julie says, no, since I've known you, that's as long as I've been preaching. So I've got one message. So here it goes, Genesis chapter 3. I want you to I want you to look at what at what God tells the serpent and then what he tells Eve. And so he tells the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. So the serpent would have an offspring. Sometimes we miss that when we read it between uh, your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. And you will strike his heel. And to the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing. I really want to focus on this part. I'll make your pains in childbearing very severe with painful labor or the actual translation of the word there would be with sorrow. You will give birth to children. The NIV changes it to painful labor. But let's just read it this morning with sorrow. You'll give birth And your desire will be towards your husband and he will rule over you. Now, with that in mind, come with me to Luke's account, uh, not of the birth of Jesus, but of the announcement of his birth to Mary. In verse 34. (laughs) Is Santa Claus out there or something? He tells me Santa Claus is a turkey because anybody, anybody that only gives gifts to good kids and won't give gifts to bad kids is not someone you can trust. <laughs> That's Josiah. Gotta love him. All right, back to Luke chapter 1, verse 34. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High. He's picking his words very carefully here. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born in you will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be fulfilled to me. And then the angel left her. And at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promise to her. And then, of course, you know, in Luke's account, Luke tells the story differently than Matthew, very differently. And only Matthew and Luke tell the story of Jesus' birth. 
And you know, in, Luke, in Matthew's account, you have the magi that come from the east or the wise men. In Luke's account, you have the shepherds. And they're, two, they're very different, but we kind of blend them together for our Christmas programs, right? <laughs> but when the shepherds are told, when heaven announces, it's so amazing how Luke does this and how the story is told. Because when Jesus is born, the way Luke tells the story, the heavens open and the angels step out. And the angels begin to proclaim what? I bring you glad tidings of great joy, which will be to all people, right? So to understand how Luke is telling the story uh, and how it ties back into Genesis uh, it's pretty amazing, but we have to understand that he's telling the story on several different levels. There is a principle in Scripture embedded in Genesis, and it's part of the reason I've spent so much time there. And it's something that's been part of Jewish mystical teaching and Christian mystical teaching since the very beginning of Christianity. And it is this thing that we might call the law of correspondence. So just humor me for a minute. Just so I know you're thinking with me and just say with me um, the law of correspondence. And, and here's what that means. Um, the, the, way, the way the writer of Genesis talks about creation, he introduces a macrocosm and a microcosm. Now, those sound like big words, but, but let's, it's basically a microcosm is a miniature of something larger. So the macrocosm is the the larger version, the microcosm is the miniature. Make sense? But they correspond exactly. So, for example, if you had a uh, 747 airplane, the actual airplane that people ride on could be considered the microcosm. If you had a model, a miniature model of a 747 airplane that corresponded exactly to the big one, that would be the microcosm. You're tracking with me. So there's going to be correspondence. There's going to be correspondence in the shape, correspondence in the interior. Making sense to you, right? So the way we're taught about creation from a Christian perspective is that the universe, the cosmos, Genesis chapter 1, is the macrocosm of the universe. But Genesis chapter 2 goes more into the creation of man. And the way he tells the story, what he's showing us is that man is the microcosm of the universe. Not just of God. Not just of God. Of the entire universe. Now there are things that have been removed from Genesis that were part of Israel's story. Now keep in mind, when we talk about the law... We translate it as law, but really it's better translated as the teaching. And because they taught with stories, it could be best translated the story. So there are things that are part of Israel's story in creation that we read in other accounts, like in the book of Jubilees, uh, the book of Adam and Eve, some of these other uh, scriptures that were really lost to us until they were rediscovered um, when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. Right? So in the original story... When God says, let there be light, he's not talking about light like we think about it. He's talking about supernal light or spiritual light. Or really, when Jesus uh, goes on the Mount of Transfiguration and he lights up, (laughs) 
Or when Paul is walking on the road to Damascus and behold, he sees a great light. That's the light of Genesis 1. And what it, so God creates light first. He creates that light first. But what we're not told, but we're told in Jubilees and some other places in Jewish literature, is that God also created the angels of light on the first day. So when you read in James, when you read James' account, because remember James is very Jewish and he's writing to Jews, and he says in, J- in James chapter 1, we quote it all the time, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variance or shadow of turning. When it's saying Father of lights, the church understood and Jewish people would understand, he's not talking about <laughs> incandescence or fluorescence. He's talking about the sons of God that were the angels. So what, what James is saying is that every good and perfect gift that comes to us from heaven comes through the medium ship or the intermediaries of the levels of angels that exist in the heavenly realms. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variance, meaning that the angel is a perfect prism, if you will, through which the light of God's character and nature and power shines through. Does that make sense? Now, from a Jewish perspective, the fall did not happen in the garden. The fall of humanity from a Jewish perspective happens from Genesis chapter 3 to Genesis chapter 11. It was a gradual displacement. And if you go back and read the story, you'll see it. Because Adam is removed from the garden, but he still has fellowship with God. Cain and Abel are able to come to God locationally and offer a sacrifice. Enoch walked with God and was not. Right? Then you have the flood. So from the time of the fall of Adam to the time of... Noah and the flood, the way a Jewish person sees that, they see God gradually retreating into the higher heavens. And this gap between God and humanity becomes greater. So you don't find really after Enoch people who quote unquote walked with God. So the Tower of Babel, we we misread the story because it's not about them trying to build a really big building. They're not trying to compete with the Sears Tower or whatever that is over in uh, Singapore or wherever, you know, the largest building in the world is now. That's not the issue. The issue is humanity is trying to reconnect the earth to the heavens. Because from a Jewish perspective, each time God withdrew and each time man fell further away, the, the microcosm is separating from the macrocosm and there's a huge breakdown between heaven and earth. Is this making sense to you? So that's what's happening on a cosmic level or in the macrocosm. But remember, everything that's going on in the macrocosm, just stay with me because this this will bless you. I know it's a little bit harder. You have to think maybe a little bit more than you thought you were going to have to on Christmas Eve. (laughs) Everything in the macrocosm corresponds somewhere in the microcosm. So everything that's going on out there is also going on inside you. And everything that's happening out there is also about you. So here's where the story becomes important. Because the story starts out 
in Luke, the way Luke, oh, let me say this too. So Luke is concerned. He has a totally different theological concern than Matthew. Matthew is writing right after the destruction of the temple. The book of Matthew is being written right after the destruction of the temple. And it's being written to Jewish people to show that Jesus has replaced Moses. So therefore, Matthew tells the story from the perspective fitting Jesus into the Jewish narrative. Watch this. So only in Matthew's account do we hear about Herod becoming angry and exterminating all the children because that's what happened to Moses. It's only in Matthew's account that Jesus goes down into Egypt afterwards because Moses was down into Egypt. In Luke's account of the Sermon on the Mount, it happens on a level plain. In Matthew's account, it happens on a mountain because Moses had to go up on the mountain to get the law. And bring it down to the people. Why would Luke have it on a level plane? Because they're not as concerned about the facts as they are the theological points that they're making. And Luke's concern is about the Gentiles. Luke's concern is all about humanity. So whereas Matthew's writing strictly to a Jewish audience saying he's the new Moses who went up on the mountain to give the law. Luke is writing to humanity on a level playing field and saying what Jesus came to bring, he came to bring for everyone. So it's only in Luke's account that you have the story of that which was lost being found. You only have the story of the lost coin in Luke's gospel. You only have the parable of the lost son in Luke's gospel. And you have the parable of the lost sheep. I'm just going to have fun with you tonight, today. The parable of the lost sheep is only in Luke's account. Now, this is interesting because you know how the early Christians understood that? The early, from, from an early Christian, I'm talking very early Christian and Jewish mystical perspective, this was not the first creation. God had done this many times. Because there were scriptures in the Psalms where God creates the worlds and then rolls them back up like a scroll. And so when the early Christians are reading what Luke's writing about the lost sheep, they're not thinking about one person who fell away from the flock. That's a very modern, individual, Western interpretation. What they're thinking about is that there was something in this creation that happened that hadn't happened before that caused this creation to be lost. And so redemption is the rescuing of this creation and bringing them back into the fold. But remember, if it's happening in the microcosm, it's happening in the macrocosm. So you'll start seeing all these correspondences. So sure, it applies to the one who falls away. But that's the microcosm. From a macrocosm perspective, it applies to all of creation. That's Luke's concern. It's important that you see that. Because Luke introduces the story of Jesus' birth by talking about John the Baptist's birth. And John the Baptist's dad was named Zechariah. And Zechariah goes in to the temple to make an offering, but there's no glory in the temple. Because the, the, in, in Solomon's temple, God had temporarily repaired the breach between heaven and earth. And the temple served as, a micro, as another microcosm, if you will. Think about the, uh, uh, what are those dolls, those little Russian dolls, you know, that you take apart. Yeah, they're nested together. So if you think about it, originally it was just supposed to be creation and man nested together. But because of the fall, God had to insert something in between. And so the temple served as a bridge, if you will, to reconnect the worlds because God's glory was there. 
But in the rebuilt temple, there's no Ark of the Covenant. There's no furniture. There's nothing in the Holy of Holies. There's no glory anywhere in. And so it's, it's not serving that mediation point. So what Luke is telling us is that God came from the highest heavens to repair the breach. So therefore, he starts the story of Jesus' birth in the Holy of Holies with Zechariah, with an angel stepping out of the light and bringing a message to Zechariah. Now, guess what Zechariah's name means? God has remembered. Guess what Elizabeth's name means? God's oath. And guess what Mary's name means? It means to have sorrow. So the way he's telling the story is basically on the level of a macrocosm. He's saying God remembers his promise to the woman in sorrow. To the woman who's only been giving birth through pain and suffering and sorrow and trial and tribulation. So that when the Christ child is born, behold, I bring you glad tidings of great joy, which shall be to all the people. In other words, what Luke's attempting to show is that in Christ, God completely reverses the fall and completely reverses the curse. That Jesus is the absolute undoing of Adam, but Mary is also the absolute undoing of Eve. That's a story on a macrocosmic level. But there's also this correspondence. (laughs) So here's how this works. Your mind, your consciousness is an amazing thing. And it is an an incredibly unnavigated and undiscovered territory for most of us. And you have deep levels of consciousness where the abilities of your own divinity and really the powers of the universe are accessible to you because if the model of the 747 matches the larger 747, then everything, every power that's in the universe has a correspondence inside of you. And when God locked up the tree of life, it's not in some orchard in heaven. It is a metaphor for the levels of your consciousness that you lose or lost because of the fall. That have been shut down and locked up because in a fallen selfish condition, you cannot have access to the full aspect of your divinity or you would be too destructive. There might be a tree, but there's a macrocosm and a microcosm. If there's a tree out there, there's a tree in you. Do you see it? So let's do it this way. What, so, so what opens, one of the things that opens the gateways of your consciousness to abilities 
that you didn't even know you had is stories. Carl Jung called them archetypes. Symbols that are pictures that are so much a part of who we are as human beings that it's a common experience among us all. Are you tracking with me? So in that sense, then, there is a Zachariah, there is an Elizabeth, and there is a Mary inside of you. And part of the reason the church celebrates Christmas is because as we go through the rhythm of our year and we remember what Christmas is about, there is power in that story to unlock latent abilities that have been residing inside you, but you haven't tapped into yet. So that God's desire is that every year Christ's light be renewed in you through the celebration of Christmas. Does that make sense to you? So think about Elizabeth this way. God has a promise, but she can't conceive it. She can't give birth to it. She can't manifest it in the earth. She's barren. Anybody ever been frustrated because they knew there was more for them than what they were actually able to experience? Anybody ever have anybody still have a promise from God that hasn't come to pass? No? You're lucky. I've got a bunch. So I know inside me there's an Elizabeth. <laughs> but I also know there's a Zechariah. There's there's a part of me whether I'm aware of it or not, there's a part of you, whether you're aware of it or not, that seeks God at levels that you don't even really control or understand. The scriptures say deep calls unto deep. So there, there's a part of you that remembers who you are, whether you are aware of it or not. There's a part of you that remembers before the fall because after all we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world there's there's a part of you and me that remembers who Christ is there's a part of you and me that that remembers that there's this incredible spiritual world that we are interconnected with but yet somehow we don't seem to quite be able to access there's a part of you that came from the supernal light that remembers the supernal light that is seeking to get back there so there's a Zechariah inside of every single one of us there's an Elizabeth inside of all of us who, even though the years have gone by since we heard what God said, is waiting for that moment when we, conceive, when we can conceive and bring forth something that we weren't able to bring forth before. That's why John had to be called by a new name. Because if you read the story, 
when they name him John, every, all of his relatives freak out and say, what do you mean you're naming him John? There's nobody in your family. There's no one in your history. There's no one that you can relate. There's no relative for this new thing that has been born. And Zechariah, who couldn't speak, <laughs> opens his mouth and says, no, it's going to be something new. Because you see, there's a part of you that, is, that wants to break out of the status quo. There's a part of you that's tired of living in the same old cycles over and over and over again. If you remember the, 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 the movie um, with Bill Murray, what was it, Groundhog Day? How many remember that movie? That movie was a pro- pro- speaking. That movie was speaking to the Elizabeth inside of us, uh, uh, talking to us at levels of consciousness that we weren't even aware of, letting us know that, hey, uh, we're stuck in a cycle, but there's going to come a point in time where you're able to break out of that cycle. And so inside of us, there is an Elizabeth. There is a womb that is waiting to conceive from a word of God, something that you've never had before, something that's not the same old thing over and over again, something that's not the same old cycle over and over again, but something that is absolutely new and different and fresh. And remember that John the Baptist was the voice preparing the way for the Lord. So unless you change your language, you're always going to get the same thing you've always been getting. Unless you change your thought patterns, you'll never be able to step in to something new. But when you begin to change from the inside out, when Elizabeth begins to awaken inside you and connect with the angel of your birth that was sent here on the earth to come with you, and you begin to connect with the angelic realms, and you begin to connect with the light of the living God, then all of a sudden you have a new language, and you start thinking about things as being possible that you didn't think were possible before. And you begin to talk about things in a different way than you used to talk about them before. Change means growth. But we shrink back from it because the only models we have of change, really, the only models that we have of conception, the only models that we have of bringing forth something good in our lives, we see it connected to pain and sorrow and suffering because it's also part of the fall that through suffering you're going to conceive and bring forth. Through sorrow and great pain and great trial. So it's very easy for us to stay stuck in the status quo because we avoid the pain of what it's going to mean to give birth to something new. And that also is somewhere at the level of our remembrances. So therefore, it's important to remember that we have a Mary inside of us who's never been touched by a man. <laughs> who's never known a man. That, 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 that change is possible for us because no matter what's happened to us in this physical world, there are parts of us that have never been defiled by, what humanity, by the pain that humanity can bring into our lives. She was named Mary, but she had no experience of pain or suffering. So other people told us it was too hard. Other people told us it was too difficult. Other people told us it would cause too much pain. We have things in our, in our mind of, of uh, 
examples of struggle and trial and sorrow and labor. (laughs) But that same angel (laughs) shows up to Mary. See, this is all about the undoing of Eve because the serpent came and said, Has God indeed said? And she was suspicious. Because really what the serpent is saying is, What God said is just too good to be true. He's holding out on you. He doesn't want you He doesn't want you to have access to the godlike powers that are inside of you. But if you eat at this tree, all that stuff will start to open up for you. So she tried to climb her way up. See it? But Mary, when she hears, what does the angel say? Blessed are you. You are highly favored. I'm bringing you glad tidings. The power of the highest of the heavens will overshadow you. He's using holy of holy language. Holy of holies language. Heaven. Heaven of the heavens. The height of the heavens. That power is going to come upon you. It's going to overshadow you. And that which will be born in you is not going to come from the earthly realm at all. It's going to come entirely from the heavenly realm. Because if it comes from the earthly realm, then it's subject to the laws of the earthly realm. But if it comes from the heights of the heavens, there is no law against what is about to be born inside of you. There's nothing in creation that can dominate that which is about to be born because that which is about to be born comes from a highest place in all the universe, from the power of the highest. If the power of the highest is birthing this inside you, there's no lower power that can override or stop what's about to happen. It's no longer you climbing up the tree. It's God coming down the tree to fellowship with you. And so what does she say? Be it unto me according as you've spoken. The undoing of Eve. So therefore, when Jesus is born, there's no mention of sorrow. Instead, behold, I bring you glad tidings of great joy which will be to all people because those that sit in darkness have seen a great light those who have a promise from God but can't conceive it's about to change those who think it's too hard to change and too painful to change and it's only through sorrow and trial and turmoil and all that stuff that I can give birth to something new no, no, no the power of the highest is about to come and override all that stuff where you were locked into the sorrow and the pain of change and creating a new future and moving into something else so I just want to invite you through this to get in touch with the part of you to realize and recognize there's a part of you that remembers everything about who you are, everything about who God is, and everything about what God's promised you. I want to remind you that you have a perfectly capable Elizabeth inside you that's been waiting to conceive. It's 
so interesting because Elizabeth is not a Jewish name. It's a Greek name. And remember, Luke is telling the story from a Gentile perspective, not a Jewish perspective. And maybe this is the best part. For all our sorrows, for all our trials, for all our failures, that Mary that's inside of us, I I believe with all all my heart, we're in a season where there is a special grace from heaven for the Marys inside of us. A special time when the grace and the favor and the blessing of the Most High is going to come all over all your broken pieces and broken lives so that the light can be reborn inside of you, so that the light can be renewed inside of you. And all you got to do is get these players together. All you got to do is get them on the same page. All you got to do is get them in rapport with each other. Because when Mary shows up to Elizabeth carrying the Christ child, understand that Elizabeth is carrying the voice, but Mary is carrying the power. And when the new language gets lined up with the power of the highest and the light of Christ, all things become possible for you. And I believe we're living in an incredible time of alignment. I believe we're living in an incredible season of opportunity when God is trying to reveal these things and bring things and bring things, bring the correspondences inside of us together. So I guess what I want to encourage you with is let this be a season when Christ is renewed in you. Let this be a season when you remember who you are. Let this be a season where the Mary inside you gets healed. And let this be a season where new ideas, new possibilities, old promises all get renewed and pregnant and ready to bring forth new life and trust in the process that even though it may appear like it's going to be sorrowful, that when you get to the end of the road, all the angels that have been working together for you to bring you to this moment and to help you manifest the reason God placed you on this earth are about to break forth in singing over your life and say, Behold, we bring you glad tidings of great joy. Let's pray. Actually, I'm mindful that we have communion today. So, Christmas is important. You couldn't have Easter without Christmas. You can't have resurrection without incarnation, right? So as we're mindful of this, as we partake of the elements this morning, please, let's let the light of Christ be renewed inside of us. And let's don't just do it as a symbolic act. Let's really internalize these things 
so that the gateways of our mind, the gateways of our consciousness, the gateways of our heart can be reconnected to the Christ in a fresh and a new way. How's that sound? Let's pray. (laughs) Now let's pray. (laughs) Father, thank you for your people. Thank you for the blessing of your presence. Thank you for your amazing grace. Just so humbled by who you are and what you've done. And we open our hearts, Lord. I'm asking, Father, that you will visit the Zechariah in us in this season. That you will visit the Elizabeth in us in this season. That you'll visit the Mary. That you'll bring the voice and the power together. And, Father, that we will be hearing testimony after testimony of glad tidings of great joy as we move out of the old and into the new. Prepare our hearts to receive the healing light of Christ, the power of God, the ultimate of who you are. In Christ's name. And Lord, we pray for the bread and we remember that the night that Jesus was betrayed, that he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And that he took the cup and he also blessed the cup saying this is the blood of the new covenant shed for the remission of sins. And as often as you drink of this cup, do it in remembrance of me. And so, Lord, bless the wine, bless the bread, and bless us as we partake as a body in the name of Jesus. And if you can agree with that this morning, just say amen. You just get up and find a couple people and wish them a Merry Christmas. And then you're welcome to partake of the elements. Hope you have a wonderful time with your families or whatever you have planned. We love you. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.